Hello again. Welcome back to Around Syria in 20 Days, the podcast of the book by me, Michael Nimmo. You're probably as surprised as I am that I said on Friday's episode when I went to see Fiorentina that there'd be an episode up in the next few days. And here I am. It's quite unusual. And I will honestly try to make this a bit of a habit, actually. So, without much further ado, here is my trip to go and see Kievo. Ciao! Marvin the Martian and the Flying Donkeys. My trip to watch Kievo play Catania. The third match of a busy month, and my 13th away day of the season, saw me going back to Verona, back to the Bentegodi, this time to see Kievo, who, in the words of Tim Parks, author of A Season with Verona, are a team from a miserable working-class suburb overflowing into declining semi-industrialised Fenland. On a generous count, there are a mere 3,000 souls, pigeons, water rats and stray dogs included. If you get the idea that Mr Parks perhaps isn't overly enamoured with Kievo, you'd be right. He seems insulted by their very presence, as limited as that may be, and their exposure in the media. Unhappy that the previously discussed reputation of the Veronese isn't applied to Kievo fans, but only to those who follow Hellas, he said, Kievo are popular because they don't represent everything that other Italians want to quarrel with when they think of Verona. That job is left to Hellas. They steal our colours, but decline our enemies. So what exactly is it that Kievo represent, and who? Before getting into that, Let's first look back at their history. The team was founded in 1929 and played in regional leagues from 1948. In 1964, they were bought by Luigi Campadelli, the owner of a cake company, which saw the start of their rise through the league system. This brought them to Serie C2 in 1986, what meant that they had to move grounds from the old and somewhat dilapidated community pitch they played on to the cavernous in comparison Stadio Marcantonio Bentegodi. This is, of course, also the home of Parks' team, Hellas Verona. Following the death of his father, Luca Campadelli took over the reins at the club at only 23 years of age and hired Alberto Malazzani as coach. This change coincided with their promotion to Serie B for the first time and their first meetings with Hellas, who were also there at the time. In their first season in Serie B, they drew and beat the more illustrious side from Verona in their two meetings. Down there they stayed, until the appointment of Luigi Del Neri in 2000 saw them reach the promised land of Serie A in his first year. Before then, Hellas supporters had chided their crosstown cousins with When donkeys fly, we'll have a derby in Serie A. Their scorn was punished when, in November 2001, the donkeys had fastened their seatbelts, lowered the armrests and stowed their tables in an upright position, ready to take off for their first derby in the top league. The upstarts lost that match 3-2, but their nickname, Musi Volanti, Flying Donkeys, stuck. Their inaugural season came to be referred to as the Miracle of Kievo, as despite being nailed on favourites for relegation, they ended the season in fifth place, after having been top for six weeks. This earned them a place in the UEFA Cup, but they fell at the first fence, losing to Red Star Belgrade. The next few years would see them continue to hold their own in Serie A, despite some relegation-shaped scares. Then, in 2006, thanks to the Calciopoli scandal, they were given a place in the knockout stages of the Champions League, although, as before, 
The flying donkeys' passports weren't needed for long and they were swiftly eliminated from European competition. At the end of that season, reality kicked in and they were relegated down to Serie B. They wouldn't stay for long though, getting promoted straight back up and have been in Serie A since then. However, unlike the miraculous days under Del Neri, their return to Serie A has seen them struggle for survival, unsurprisingly, given their size and means. The most recent accounts available at the time of writing were from the 2012-2013 season and showed Kievo making a profit of 1.5 million euros. This for a team that has an average attendance of around 10,000 and relies heavily on the money received for TV rights and shrewd business on the transfer market. They were one of only six clubs in Serie A in the black, along with Catania, Fiorentina, Napoli, Pescara and Udinese, if you want to know. Considering that Pescara went down that year and this match's opponent Catania would bow out come the season's end, it could be surmised that financial success doesn't necessarily augur well for survival on the pitch. Speaking in early 2014, the sporting director, Giovanni Sartori, was proud of the club's work. He said, We're at the same level as Livorno, in the sense that we're the team that has the lowest income in Serie A. And yet, we've been here for 12 years, apart from a brief interruption, which would be relegation in 2007. Transfer business is to be done with accounts in mind, and you have to organise a squad in line with your budget. On this theme, one of my interviewees, Michele, added, Unfortunately, our team isn't given the correct treatment or respect that is due from the media, above all from the local press. There's an envy for a project that works, and that's overshadowed Hellas for many years. For the neighbourhood of Kievo, the team's something to be proud of, but sadly, outside it, there aren't many fans. And another interviewee, Mirko, elaborated, We're a really small team, let's be honest. In modern football, it's hard work to be self-sufficient when you're a team from an area as small as Kievo. If there's not a solid foundation and a well-defined plan like we have, then most sides would disappear in a couple of years. Our luck is that we have an organised club. And although it'll be hard to stay up this year, we've been in Serie A for 11 years out of the last 12. An important part of the Kievo business plan is developing young players and selling them on. Michele has a regret about this though. What I've never understood is why some of our young players never get given a chance in the first team. It could be to everyone's advantage, but instead these guys often aren't valued and we lose them. I hope our way of seeing things will change soon though. It's certainly the case that Kiev are treated by opposition supporters as something of a benign peculiarity. The team rose to prominence after the explosion of ultras groups in the 70s, so they missed out on the period in which blood was spilt and grudges born. If your name's not on the list, you can't get into the party. And in the embryonic years of the 70s and 80s, Kiev weren't even the little brother of Hellas. They were more the second cousin who's 10 years younger and still sucking his thumb you'd really have to have been pretty informed about the lower leagues to have more than a passing knowledge of them. So, they never really posed a threat to other teams or their groups, and indeed, the club's charter states that they want to promote friendship among people all around the world. This is very much at odds with other teams and their fans in Italy, who thanks to campanilismo, perceived injustices and rarely forgotten beefs, are very selective about who they class as good guys and those who are deemed wankers.
Whereas other clubs have lists of Gemalaji and Rivalita, Kievo operate under the banner of twinned with no one, friends with everyone. What a refreshing change. It'll never catch on though. So, rather than being hated or loved by other team's fans, they're instead met with a general air of condescension and derision. The little team, the imposter at the party, where's their history? And why won't they join in and bear a grudge against someone, anyone else? What's worth bearing in mind is that although they don't have much of a history, since 2001 they have played in Serie A every year bar one. In that time, more illustrious teams with greater histories, such as Napoli, Genoa, Sampdoria, Juventus and Fiorentina, have found themselves outside the Serie A party too. For a team from a working class suburb in Fenland that only reached the dizzying heights of Serie B for the first time in 1994, their lack of sepia-tinged photos of glory is understandable. And what's more, is not hating other people really such a bad thing? I may have already briefly spoken about the simple pleasure of shouting at strangers and insulting them for 90 minutes a week, but is it good for us? Is embracing the dark side a good road to go down, despite the filmic evidence that shows it will inevitably pit you against your children? Whether he thought of this in the stands over a half-time schnitzel is unclear, but Johann Brahms once said, Those who enjoy their own emotionally bad health, and who habitually fill their own minds with the rank poisons of suspicion, jealousy and hatred, as a rule take umbrage at those who refuse to do likewise, and they find a perverted relief in trying to denigrate them. So, following that thinking, if someone spends their time slagging off Kievo, the silence in return would be infuriating, which in turn would perpetuate the dislike. As a fellow straniero, while I found a season with Verona very interesting, I don't have the same disdain for my team's rivals as Parks. Rather, I find his antipathy for Kievo quite peculiar, but then again I didn't live in Verona when there was only really his beloved Hellas. As he wrote in an article for The Guardian, even if the club changes its name to Kievo Italia and wins the World Cup and the Nobel Peace Prize all in its own, I'll never join in the appreciation for them. On November the 18th, 2001, Hellas Verona and Kievo Verona will finally meet for the first time in Serie A. I've spoken to members of the Hellas management and they do understand that it is their duty to stop this awful phenomenon. I'll be there. On Verona's website, someone writes, Win for us, Hellas and these miserable peasants will magically disappear. My sentiments, exactly. As already recorded, Hellas won that match 3-2. Kievo are still here though. I wondered what a Kievo fan's impression of Parks would be, so I spoke to Michele, a member of the Musi Volanti group. To be honest, I'm not 100% sure about what he said about us, but if I remember right, it was something along the lines of us being a byproduct of modern football. For me, sporting merit's more important than money. Kievo weren't promoted to Serie A because we paid someone. We got here by playing. And when we went down in 2007, we bounced right back up again with a points record that equaled Juventus's and subsequently Sassuolo's. I don't know why there's a need to justify the Kievo phenomenon. We're talking about sport. Win the games? Cool, stay in Serie A. Lose them? Okay, 
down you go like our cousins from Hellas, who were in the lower leagues for 12 years. Uh, so they might want to be friends with everyone, but I guess some digs are just too easy to let pass by. Another thing to bear in mind is that bless their synthetic cotton socks, but barring their miraculous early years in the league, Kievo just aren't very good nowadays. They've had a few decent players along the lines of Simone Perotta, Michael Bradley and current star striker Sergio Pellissier. He's a bit of a fox in the box, is old Sergio, and I'm not being unnecessarily ageist either. He is getting on a bit. Give him half a sniff of goal and he'll pop the ball in the net though. Those instincts don't go with age. The rest of the team is generally made up of journeymen, pros and decent enough younger guys. And as bland as that cliche may be, so is Kievo's squad. One player who I feel would be of note though in Kievo's history is Luciano. Or should that be Heriberto? A Brazilian midfielder, he played in the Brazil under-20 team along with Ronaldinho, Julio Cesar and Matusalem that took bronze at the Copa America in 1999. By this stage, the name on the back of his shirt read Heriberto, as three years earlier, due to a lack of interest in him on account of his age, he had bought a fake identity from a fixer. Thus, Heriberto ne Luciano was signed by Palmeiras in his home country before coming over to Italy, first to Bologna, then to Kievo, which is where he would play the majority of his career. In his time with Kievo, he played more than 300 matches, and was part of the team that came to be known as the Miracle of Kievo. In later years, he would say that he had adopted his new name and age because he was poor and hungry. The name that he would subsequently publicly reveal was not his. When he came clean about it all, he said that it was because of an identity crisis and so that his son could take his real family name. This kind of deception wasn't tolerated, and although he risked going to prison, in the end he was banned for six months and given a fine. After his big reveal, Luciano ne Heriberto ne Luciano's teammates were reported to have taken the mick out of him, saying that he didn't look his age. The suspicion that a player may not be as old, or young, as the case may be, as he claims to be resurfaced around the time of my trip to the Veneto, with the Lazio youth team player and former hardest paper round in the world record holder, Joseph Minala. After he was promoted to the first team, quotes by Minala that were swiftly rubbished surfaced suggesting that he was actually 41. Minala is officially 17, and after a few days of tittering in the papers, Lazio lost patience with people who had been suggesting that not everything was above board, and subsequently threatened legal action against anyone who questioned the young lad's age. And I can sympathise with him. After all, he's been putting up with allegations like this for decades. Before heading to the stadium, I'd met Stefano from the Mosi Volanti. I was a wee bit nervous about meeting him, as beyond his name and a phone number, I didn't know anything about the man. Thankfully, he was there waiting on the platform of the train station, smoking a pipe and reading, which for no logical reason immediately put me at ease. He was a gent and took me out for lunch during which he told me his story as a Kievo fan. Unfortunately, I didn't think to record this conversation, but you'll just have to accept that it was most enlightening, and part of it involved a nervous cross-border trip to Bulgaria. After having met him, I went to find a member of another group, who'd said he'd help me. Interviews done and dusted, I made my way to pick up the ticket. 
The woman in the kiosk didn't need to see my ID as I was the only person who'd reserved a ticket online. So when I left her, I assumed she just shut up shop and went home. Keen as mustard to get the inside track on fans' favourite players, I spoke to the aforementioned Michele and Mirko, a member of Northside 94, the most prominent group in the Corva. First of all, Michele said this. Mario Yepes is my favourite, the Colombian captain and a great defender. I've got his signed shirt and treat it like a family heirloom. It's just a shame he left us so soon. He signed for AC Milan after two seasons. Right, Mirko has another favourite. Well, there have been a few, but I guess for his way of handling himself out on the pitch, I'd say the coach, Eugenio Corini, when he was still a player. One of my best memories is of a match in Serie B, and Corini came over to take a corner under a corva. As he was doing so, he turned to us and waved his hands in the air to encourage us to shout and sing even more. Then, down the years, there have been other good players, but maybe the one who's fought for his best is our captain, Pellissier. Although we've heard from Michele, from the Musi Volanti, the Northside 94 are the biggest group in the Corva Sud. From my vantage point in the stadium, there were numerous banners visible in the Corva, but the main section of supporters were behind a big banner of Marvin the Martian, he of Looney Tunes fame. He's maybe not the most intimidating or obvious mascot, but their name's a little counterintuitive too. See, although they habitually inhabit the Corva Sud, for derbies they get shunted down to the Corva Nord, which is the away section. They do this even when they're the nominal home team, given their relative scarcity of numbers. And that's where the name comes from. They've turned what could be perceived as a weakness into something to rally around. Much the same can be said with regards to Marvin the Martian, the softly spoken alien who dreamed of being dangerous. sums up Kievo quite nicely, an alien in the professional football world, a team that shouldn't be in the rarefied orbit of Serie A, but who refused to give up. While I was loitering outside the stadium to meet Mirko, there were a fair few people walking about with sky blue scarves on, which I would later find out were the original colours, and those folks are members of a group which yearns for the good old days, going by the, it does what it says in the tin, name of Kievo, 1929. My seat wasn't particularly near these people, as I was up in the tribuna. My attempts to buy a ticket online for the Corva Sud had proved fruitless. And to be honest, I was quite happy where I was. For the duration of the match, the sun shone on my pasty face, and allowed me to see the Corva and the match in comfort. A large banner hung from the Corva's upper tier, proclaiming Orgoglio Clivense, Clivense Pride, Clivense being local dialect for those from Kievo. It needs to be said that watching the Northside guys supporting their team was more of a pleasure than the match, which was a showcase of why the two teams were battling against relegation. Kievo won 2-0 thanks to goals by Tero and Rigoni, but their defending was alarming at times. I'd seen their central defender Dario Dainelli play a bit a few years ago, and I don't remember him having been quite as much a liability as he looked in this match. Thankfully for the Clevente, they weren't to regret their defensive frailty and took the precious three points against one of their relegation rivals. The game fairly petered out and at the full-time whistle I tried to dawdle as much as possible as the station is only about a 15-minute walk away and I had more than an hour to wait on a train. 
As I was meandering along the road, I bumped into Stefano again, who, after giving me a hug, very kindly gave me a lift the rest of the way. Gah, I was trying to waste time. Still, it was very nice of him to do so. And so it was that I found myself waiting in Verona's train station, with the idea that if I ever form a 50s-influenced rock and roll band, Marvin the Martian and the Flying Donkeys might not be such a bad name.